Hello and welcome to Super Saturdays, a comic book media podcast where we rank media by its story, impact, and visuals to figure out if these projects will stand the test of time. I'm Damon Ain. And I'm Jay Hayward. In each episode, we'll be focusing on your favorite comic books, TV shows, and movies. Great month of April, a time where it can be both 80 degrees and snowing. We are going to be taking you back to 2011, a time when we allowed the King's Speech to end Best Picture. A time when Rolling in the Deep was number one popular song at the time. And hmm. the Tony for Best Musical went to Book of Mormon, which still comes in and out of Broadway to this day. We are talking about Marvel's favorite family, the Fantastic Four, issues 587 and 588. On with the show. As stated in the last episode, Soups, I wanted to introduce a new segment I like to call Did You Read the Next Issue? Where we talk a little bit about the previous episode and discuss whether or not we read on. So, Jay, last episode we covered Howard the Duck number eight. And in the end, Leia Thompson made her amazing cameo. Did you read the next issue of Howard the Duck? Sadly, what happens to Leah Thompson afterward is still a mystery to me. Uh, after we recorded our episode, which was at uh, Friday night, <laughs> before we we posted, because uh, we ended up being so busy this past week, you and I, mm-hmm. um, I've been working on the new Power Rangers film that's being made by uh, Justin Weber. It's a fan project of his. Uh, him and I worked together on Gem Paladins. Uh, which was very successful on YouTube so far, and I'm very happy to be working on its sequel right now, which is called Rail Riders. Uh, it's fantastic, and I really recommend people checking it out and show it to your friends, and please don't show Hasbro. <laughs> please don't show Hasbro. So I didn't get to see any more of Howard the Duck, but I think I talked about how I wanted to find a Marvel legend of his. Well, my buddy... I was staying over at his house. I found in his Marvel Selects and Marvel Legends uh, collection uh, his Howard the Duck, and I thought it was awesome. It was so coincidental. And he has the first issue signed as well, his first ever appearance. Ooh, okay. We, 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 we got to get you one of those figures. We got to get you one of those figures, Jay. I need one. I need one so bad. I've put it up over here with my, uh, my little Chris Pratt that I have and my uh, my miniature Harley Quinn and my Zelda and my Snoopy. I need Howard the Duck next to Snoopy. Honestly, I'm thinking back to our first episode that we were filming and you showed me the E.T. that you have on your desk and everything. Oh, dude. Yeah, that E.T. <laughs> that was wild. Hickman's Fantastic Four came out in 2011. Do you know what was happening in the comic book world when we, this book came out, Jay? I had learned that a DC was starting to streamline the new 52 issues. So they canceled all the other titles that were going on at the time. Yep. And this same time was also the release of Batman Arkham city, hmm. which is a phenomenal game. 
I have purchased it on every console it's been out on. I think even the Wii U. I think I even had it on the Wii U for a very brief time. And now uh, I even got it on PC. Phenomenal game. And I cannot believe it is over 10 years old. It feels like yesterday. It really does. And I remember when that game came out. I remember the first teaser that had that one song in there like, there ain't no place for a hit. That song, that song, man, that trailer was epic. I remember I kept rewatching it and rewatching it. And I also remember when they announced that Catwoman was going to be a playable character. And I think that was like one of the first times where in a single player game, you could play as more than just the main character. It was like one of the first like instances of DLC. It wasn't the very first, but it was like still back when it was like a new thing that was coming out and everything. On my end of things, I would say what happened in 2011. I'm glad you brought the new 52. Um, but yeah, the new 52 was big at the time in 2011. And another thing that was happening, I believe, was... Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, Avengers was filming at the time of uh, 2011. So, you know, my question for you is, what was your first introduction to the Fantastic Four? My first introduction to the Fantastic Four was one time when my dad and I were going through a family video. We had found Fantastic Four 2, Rise of the Silver Surfer, on the shelf. Think much of it. I thought it was a really fun and campy superhero film as a kid. I don't remember really anything of the movie now because I was just a, a dumb little kid. But ever since then, I've always had a, a little fascination with the Fantastic Four and seeing where they've gone afterwards. And for a while, it seemed like they were just going to tank and be forgotten forever. And I'm glad that's not the case anymore. Honestly, I feel like uh, Fantastic Four has always been like with the Mar Marvel's like first family and shit. And I honestly feel like they're one of those comics that are like a, they're a relic of like coming. They're like a product of the 60s. But there's so much appeal that's in those comics and there's so much appeal within those characters. And I think the fact that they haven't had their due in the movies is like freaking, it's a damn shame. Um, my first introduction to the Fantastic Four would have to be, I would say my dad, he um, would show me the 90s Fantastic Four animated series sometimes whenever he was on Toon Disney. Um, one of his favorite heroes was The Thing. And then I'd also say uh, on my birthday back in 2005, I went to the drive-in to see the first Fantastic Four movie, and I was hella excited. Really? Yeah. What did you think about it? I liked it a lot. Didn't really pay attention to, the, to it entirely. Um, I thought it was cool as fuck. I thought the thing was cool. Mr. Fantastic was cool. The Invisible Woman was cool. I liked the movie a lot. I loved it. Uh, I felt, I, looking back on it, I do remember it feeling a little too small scale, but it still was a really good movie. I'm glad that, like, with those original ones from the early 2000s, a lot of people are, like, coming around on it, and they're basically saying, like, the movies weren't the best, but they weren't terrible. No, I remember them playing frequently on FX a lot. And you want to know why? Because FX has the movies. Oh, don't I know it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got to know FX has the movies. Movies, Do they movies. still have movies? I mean, they have the movies, but they also have Simpsons marathons and their own original shows to put on there and shit countless and always sunny yeah that is them that's their meat train always sunny i have yet to watch it but i heard that it's fucking hilarious i love that show we have to 
we have to watch that together at some point, at least a couple of those episodes for sure. It is so fun. The first season is okay, but every season after it gets better and, and better. I love it. Charlie Day is fantastic for sure. Soups, this was the episode that you guys chose. On all of our socials, we posted a poll on Fantastic Four issue or episode from any of the shows. Would you like us to cover? And I'm assuming a lot of you guys like morbid sad shit because you chose the death of Johnny Storm. So let's dive in. So in the midst of the critically acclaimed run by Jonathan Hickman, we find that the Fantastic Four are facing three different crises. The Invisible Woman is acting as a delegate between New and Old Atlantis and trying to stop it from becoming a slaughterhouse. While on New World, Mr. Fantastic is trying to assist Ted and Alyssa Moy to evacuate the planet before it's consumed by Galactus. And back at the Baxter Building, the Human Torch, Ben Grimm, and the Children of the Future, of the Future Foundation are trying to stop an annihilation wave from the negative zone, crossing over to Earth through the portal in Reed's lab. In our first issue, the art is by Steve Epting, and in the second, it's taken over by Nick Dragata. All right, so some cool information before we get into this, Jay. This, like, issue where Johnny dies, well, actually, no, the one that's, like, showing the fallout of it, was marketed as the final issue of the Fantastic Four. It was melancholy. It was sad. But I will let you know, they do pick back up the numbering at the end of, uh, I want to say towards the end of Hickman's run within his final issues on his run. It goes back to being the Fantastic Four book, and the numbering continues. Uh, but these two books cause the dawn of the Future Foundation title, which goes, I think, for about like 50 issues, or maybe less. And uh, yeah, that's just some cool shit about that. Now, Future Foundation, is this coming around the time when... Disney was talking about different rights and issues. Uh, what was the reason for them to have this death, I guess? Was it something where it was rights related? And mm -hmm. as I know, we've talked about in the past that Marvel could was really spiteful and, and petty towards how they were showing Fantastic Four for a little while. Yeah, this issue came out um, prior to all that petty bullshit. Um, cause the pettiness came after the Avengers became a household name and they were moving towards sequels and introducing the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. That's when Marvel started becoming more petty with the Fantastic Four. Um, for the people at home, Soups, if you guys didn't know, um, Marvel's rights with their characters and movies was a clusterfuck. It's kind of better now cause the only character they don't own the rights to is Spider-Man. But at the point, at the time of this, like when this issue came out, the rights for all of the character was that the X-Men, Fox owned the X-Men, Fox also owned the Fantastic Four, Sony owned Spider-Man and all Spider-Man related characters. Marvel then had like the leftovers. So they could never like have the X-Men come in there, they could never have the Fantastic Four come in there. And of the two properties, the one that the MCU desperately needed was Fantastic Four. So what they did is that they wanted to find a way to add more interesting shit into the universe. So what they did is they started pushing the Inhumans as like the new X-Men within the MCU and within the comics. That then caused them to shelve the X-Men. But then they also were so spiteful 
and so petty because they tried to ask Fox to give them the rights back to Fantastic Four, and Fox said no. They then canceled the Fantastic Four's book, and they basically sidelined them after the events of the Secret War. But um, honestly, this book is the beginnings of the Secret War. One of the coolest things about um, about Jonathan Hickman is that like a lot of fans have put together that like a lot of his runs, you could read them together as like a movie trilogy of sorts. He works on this one. This is his, like his first one. He then moves on to um, Avengers and then that then segues into Secret Wars. And if you read all of them, it all makes sense and it's all connected. Wow. Hickman was really busy around this time. Yeah, he likes to play chess instead of playing checkers. Damn straight. So what is he doing currently? Uh, he currently was uh, he was the one behind the whole Krakoa era of the X-Men. No kidding. He is the one that started yeah. all of that. Mm-hmm. So what was your initial thoughts on these issues before we hop into the summary? So, weirdly enough, I had already known about issue 588. I have an issue of it physically. I had purchased it from a library a long time ago. I don't know even why I picked it up. I guess it was just interesting to me when I had flipped through it and Mm -hmm. there just wasn't really any dialogue much at all throughout it. And we'll definitely talk about 588 when we get to it. 587 was wild because I had no idea what had happened prior to anything. And when I started reading this and realizing that we're going to be going through three different stories and somehow Namor is a part of this and something's going on with Galactus. Oh, we'll get into that. I thought it was crazy. I I thought everything was going intense straight off the bat. And I don't read a lot of Fantastic Four. I I watch a lot of videos about them and I have, you know, we've talked about Fantastic Four and I've seen like Fantastic Four shows, movies and stuff. The comics are always so foreign to me. And this is probably the wildest start to any issue that I think we've read so far. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that because um if I'm being quite honest with you, I've got I have the omnibus of the Hickman run, only volume 1, I need volume 2. But it was hard for me to get through the volume at first because with well, the omnibus first because uh I noticed after reading so, okay, soups, what I did is I read a huge chunk of the omnibus to get to where I needed to get to for this episode and uh it was when I got to the halfway point that's when i was like hooked into the story because at the beginning a lot of the stuff hickman was doing at the beginning was like planting seeds to get to where he needed to go so it was a lot of exposition and a lot of it was like confusing ass exposition so when shit hit the fan it hit the fan and uh i think one of the things i liked a lot of it about it so far is that like even in these two issues you notice that time is a very important thing within these stories and so far, I think throughout the entire run, time is going to be a huge thing. That's going to be um, one of the more morals of it there as well, too. Oh, totally. Time is such an important role throughout just this one issue alone. It fills up panels 
worth of just talking about time in different ways, which is really well written showing how thematically all three of them are still connected in some sort of way, despite them being on these different uh, planets and dimensions and uh, different situations entirely. How it is so vital for all three of them to do what they need to do as soon as possible. Okay, so we start. It is day six, 2.45 p.m., and the Fantastic Four are all separated. Except for Ben and Johnny. Ben and Johnny are at the Baxter building. So we have three locations to go between the story. We're at the Gulf of Thailand underwater. We're on this different planet in a different dimension called New World. And then we're back at the Baxter building. Sue is at the Gulf of Thailand. Reed is on New World. And uh, right here on this first page, I got a question for you, Jay. What was your like thoughts right when you just landed right there? Like, were you just like, what the fuck? Dude. You're like, what the fuck? Oh, my gosh. Everything on this first panel is wild. There's this big old dragon gargoyle thing just shooting fire, but it has like little reader glasses. So he's like so sophisticated. <laughs> There's a whole bunch. It's Dragon Man. I thought they were like, did you say Dragon Man? Dragon Man, that's his name. That's his name. That is just as creative as like bird person. You know there's a bird person in the New Mutants? No kidding. There is. Oh my goodness. Well, sorry, bird person. I hope you don't hear I this. think his name is Bird Brain. I don't know. I forgot his name exactly, but oh, yeah. That's even worse. But you know what? Batman had Egghead, so, you know, who's really <laughs> winning? Uh, there's also, like, a couple of, like, different types of aliens here that look like I thought they were supposed to be the, the Kree or um, not the Kree. What are the aliens? The Skrulls? Skrulls. Thank you. I thought oh, where'd you see them? Uh, with with Dragon Man, are these? Not- oh no, that was uh the Moloids. Moloids? What are Moloids? Uh, the people that the that live in Subterranea, like underground with Mole Man. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So the random kids and things you be you see in the Baxter Building, those are the members of the Future Foundation. Oh, okay. So these are going to be the next team members to take on the torch of the fantastic four or like a new branch of the fantastic four not exactly okay so like a little bit of backstory like earlier like an issue or two ago reed like has a whole like meeting with the he's at this big like freaking press conference slash prize thing with all the smart famous people across the world and he has this speech and basically he kind of like goes in on them and tells them that like, you know, you, what you said in the paper was that complete trash and what you said was bad. And then, da, 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 da. and he said that like a lot of you guys are very like you guys are a bad reflection on our generation because you're like he kind of was like talking down on the previous generation and how like they're not willing to change and grow with the times and actually try to explore new things and all other type of shit. So he ultimately quit um, the Academy or whatever. And he had been inspired to create this thing called the Future Foundation, where it's kind of like a think tank slash school of very diversified and smart children. Their whole mission and goal is to try to solve everything. Everything? 
Yes. No, what do you mean, like, by everything? All of the world's problems. All of the universe's problems. What a heavy toll to put on a bunch of kids. Since we laid down the three different stories we're going to be following, we're going to be starting with the Baxter Building. So, the Annihilation Wave, which is the bugs that they're all fighting, is laying siege onto the Baxter Building. Ben, who is depowered, he's not the thing currently, he's just a regular man, and Johnny Storm are leading the charge along with the Future Foundation, the kids. We basically learned that the gate needs to be closed. And in order for them to do that, they have to go on the other side of the gate of the negative zone to close it. So they have to go in there to close the gate so that the annihilation wave won't jump through. The person saying this is Valeria. Now, Jay, do you know who Valeria Richards is? The daughter of Susan and Reed. How old do you think she is in this story? She has to be like eight years old. She's six. Six years old? Yep, thing. But yeah, she's one of the, like the, she's basically the leader of the Future Foundation. Every time I read that, like read further, I'm like, how the fuck are you six years old? Wow. Okay, chaos is ensuing, and then Leech, who is one of the guys around there on in the Future Foundation, he's a mutant, green-looking guy. Uh, he keeps saying punch, punch, punch. Valeria then knocks him out with a wrench and tells everybody, okay, he was asking to be knocked out. Which I fucking died all after when she hit him. The reason why she hit him was because he was asking to be knocked out. The reason he was not asking to be knocked out is so that Franklin can use his powers. Leech's mutant powers is that whenever he's around any other any super powered person, he, their powers are going to be depowered. He looks like uh, he looks like Paul. You ever seen that movie? Oh my god, that was a fucking deep dive. That's exactly what he looked. Oh my it, god. You know, there, there's supposed to be a sequel to Paul, but they never did it. I'm not too surprised, admittedly. That <laughs> that movie felt like a fever dream. It felt like if, if if you pulled out the picture of that movie, I would tell you that was a fake movie. Right? It looks like one of those that is just used to be like a background image for when your characters are going to a cinema. It doesn't look like something you actually see in the, in the movie. Exactly. That whole movie was just a, a time. It was it was it was wild. I only seen it once. Only thing I remember is Sigourney Weaver played the villain. Uh, Paul had like some fucking weird shit powers that will tell you what happens, what what's happened, what, what what created the universe and shit and all this other type of shit. I don't fucking know. It was a wild. It was a wild time. Leech gets knocked out. Franklin's able to use his powers. Now Franklin is one of the most powerful mutants in the Marvel universe. He has reality warping powers. Now, what do you mean by reality warping? I would say energy projection and like reality manipulation, I guess. Kind of like the Scarlet Witch. Okay. I see what you're saying. Listen, there's a lot of stuff I could explain, but we're going to keep yeah, going. I, for oh, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm not helping at all. And it's not like I don't have anything down for my notes or anything, but everywhere we're going is so, it's so bizarre. Uh, all different. Well, you just got to yeah, walk I'm, with me. I'm right here with you. I'm, I'm right here. Okay. Okay, I'm on the street. You got to be on the street with me. We walk right, on the sidewalk. Right, right. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. So Franklin does some cool ass shit. He makes a clearing, and he then turns the main shields on. All right. So at this point, Johnny Storm he is shook because he can't believe his Franklin's powers are back. Uh, Valeria says that it was honestly obvious. Like she's surprised that no one else noticed it. Well, I sure. 
so, so don't feel bad guys listen and then so ben comes back and he says that he's called the avengers and they're on their way to help where the fuck are the avengers because i feel like this would have been so much easier if the avengers was already there where is anyone or why couldn't they call it the x-men anybody just anyone else spider-man would have been there in like two seconds what is he doing right now honestly point no they could have even fucking called luke cage and all of them oh, or whatever they could have called anybody could have shown up for this what the fuck could daredevil do i don't know daredevil stuff like, like just flip around oh gosh he would be fighting the bugs in a hallway yeah and shit. yeah or the, at least like uh you know someone shield shield members would have definitely shown up for something like this okay actually yeah shield probably would have helped because it would have had guns and totally shit. this well this is a whole like planet uh jeopardizing threat and i feel like this would be something that, that shield would be right on top of it should have been like a freaking code red and it shouldn't have just been i want to call the avengers don't i'm gonna call everyone at that point because that i don't know I don't know, Ben. I don't think that was his smart, this his smartest call. By far not. So Val basically tells them that the shield that they have currently up, which is just the first layer of shield, I'm pretty. I'm the way she described it is that there's like two shields. There's like the like the regular see through red shield. Then there's like the actual like enforced shield. So she tells them that the shield currently won't hold, and due to the controls being destroyed, they're going to have to go into the negative zone. And they won't have much time since the second wave is currently on the way. So basically, Valeria convinces them to go in there. So it's Franklin, Johnny, Ben, Valeria, and a couple of the members of the Future Foundation. Uh, they're going to be going inside of the negative zone. If It is fantastic. He really leaps off of the panel there, uh, pretty much literally. And the lighting, or the shading, rather, that they have on him. He looks really badass. Though I, I do have to wonder, mm -hmm. when was he able to turn back into his normal self as well as become the thing? All right. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. A couple issues ago, when the Future Foundation was formed, Reed basically asked them, what would you guys like your first task to be? And they had a couple of different options, but ultimately they decided we want to cure the thing. And they ultimately figured out a way to do it. And they basically said that, like, the reason why Reed could never do it is because Reed didn't stop and think about how once they were hit with cosmic rays, their whole genetic bodies changed completely. So they're not the same anymore. So Reed was coming at it from a place of like, oh, well, he's still Ben, so let me see if I can turn him back or whatever. No, you have to look at it as he's the thing all the time. How can he revert back to being Ben? They basically described it as like asking a dog not to be a dog. So uh, basically, they were able to do it. And they said due to the fact that the thing has been in his like rock body for far more longer than the others, he won't be able to stay human as long. And what they can give best do is they can let him be human once a week every year. Only once a week every year. And the previous issue was him spending his uh, days. That's why it says day six. This is his last day. Oh, my goodness. Of all times to not have his powers, huh? 
Yeah. Meanwhile, in the Gulf of Thailand, uh, there's been a force field around the fortress of this Atlantean um, court, um, castle place, fortress or whatever. Sue has had this force field up for an entire day, mind you, like 24 hours. She kept it up 24 hours. Oh, that's a lot of power that, that she must be exerting. Sue is basically, she's playing ambassador between the new Atlanteans and the old Atlanteans. Earlier within the run, the Fantastic Four discovered that the un- old Atlanteans have been like uncovered and they kind of like think that Sue is an ambassador, is like the queen of like for humans, the ambassador for humans. And she befriends the old Atlanteans. The old Atlanteans want to acclimate to new to the new Atlantean lifestyle and just acclimate in general. So she's basically hosting a parlay between the two in order to figure out how to best integrate. Sue is basically confronting the rest of the old Atlanteans because in the previous issue, Namor killed their leader after he lied to Sue about the treaty that they agreed upon. He also told Sue that the old Atlanteans are using her. So instead of just like, you know, just saying, fuck it, Sue just confronts them completely. Just right off. Just right there. Just right there. The old Atlanteans then tell her, actually, Namor has it wrong. We are a different people than how we once were. Since Namor killed our king and his children are too young. And uh, basically, without her knowing, the king liked her so much that he actually named her his steward. So she is now the queen of the old Atlanteans. Wild shit. Let's go move over to New Namor World. Namor was fucking pissed. Uh, <laughs> no, Namor was fucking pissed. Man, okay. Honestly, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. My favorite part of this issue was when Sue gave Namor the business. That's all I got to right? say. Deserved. Like, oh my fucking God. But we'll get to that shit. We go back to New World. Galantis has allowed Reed and two others to try and save the people of the planet that he was going to consume we then learn that the people of the planet are not people after all. There are a one hive mind consciousness by Natalie X, who is this like lady with a big ass head and Dude, shit like that. Okay, yeah, let's talk about this for a second. First off, Galactus is here and he is yes. Dude, the way how they illustrate him here is so terrifying. I don't know what it is about it. I love he, it just looks like everything that everyone has said and talks about this character you know the idea of seeing this dude in the ncu or some sort of other iteration i I don't know how you can do it nearly as much justice i'm pretty sure like times when um, when we were just talking about the fantastic four you never understood the big hyper whoop for like galactus it's interesting hearing you say that right now Talking about how, like, it's, he seemed terrifying in this issue. Yeah, man. Like, these shots, he, he, he doesn't say a single word in any of the panels that he's in. But you know that he's here and, and the destruction that's being shown and all the artwork that Reed and uh, all of his other people that he's with are running through the, the demolished planet. You know, he just by him standing there he's not really even doing a whole bunch it's just the power of galactus it's so menacing and a character that i i mean we gotta see in other things soon you know i think he would be 
he would mm-hmm. be a fantastic antagonist to see uh, in some sort of other iteration. They're really sleeping on. Now, are you curious about what happened prior to this and why this is happening? Oh, dude, totally. I need to know how all of these characters got split up like this to even begin with. All right. Well, the reason why Galactus is doing this shit is because in the previous issue, the Silver Surfer found the body of Galactus. Like a dead Galactus, basically. What? The Silver Surfer then went and told Galactus... And Galactus and the Silver Surfer arrived floating above the Baxter building, and they talked to Reed Richards. And Reed Richards told them, yes, I was the one who buried the body. Yes, I was the one who knew about it, and I didn't tell you, because what had happened is that technically the body that you saw is a time-displaced slash interdimensional version of yourself. And I didn't kill you, but... I found the body and I felt like it was best for me to bury it there. All right. And Galactus is curious and also kind of scared by this because he said, I did not die a natural death and I need to know who is the cause of this. So he then tells Reed Richards, we have to go to wherever this happened. And Reed tells where it happened and it was new world. New World, in order for them to power their generators to save the city or some shit like that, they then siphon off the power of Galactus to power some new shit and everything. That ultimately led to the death of Galactus. So, as they arrive to New World, Galactus is, you know, hearing more about this, and he tells Reed Richards, what is the possibility of this happening on your Earth? And Reed says, it is something that can likely happen. So Reed then he then tell he then wagers a bet to Reed. Not really a bet, but he basically says that like uh well, two things. The reason they did it was because their son was dying, so they needed some type of energy source to help cause the planet to survive or I whatever. See. So he tells Reed that like, is there any way for you to stop this from potentially happening on Earth? And Reed says, I I believe there might be a way for me to do it. And Galactus says, if there isn't, I'm going to eat your planet. Another thing that Galactus said while on that ship is that Galactus said, um, is, is the one who tells Reed that uh, Franklin's powers are back and I'm afraid of your son. That's only one of the two things that Galactus is afraid of. Wow. He must be what had killed Galactus then, or at least potentially. And if not in that universe, definitely possible in a future time. Hey, got to read more of Hickman's that, run because a lot of cool shit so is just crazy happening. How powerful both of these kids are at just such a young age. Just imagine. What, exactly. Uh, but what are they now? I guess they're, are they full adults now? Or are they still kids? No, they're still kids. Um, I think Franklin is a teenager currently in the comics. Oh, okay. No. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we're still going. Okay. So as all of this is happening, we learn that Galactus isn't actually eating the planet, but he's destroying the planet. Yes. We get told. Bum, bum, I, bum. Uh, what is the character's name? I cannot remember. Who? Uh, we get told this by the herald of a uh, I thought was for Natalie X here, or as as 
they're describing it as is a mother goddess mother x yes i forgot what his name is for being quite honest i didn't write that in my notes but yes you're absolutely right what is that character is that the previous herald for this other galactus possibly okay i gotta look All i gotta right. look back I there, really well okay for people at home there is a mysterious sun man whose name that i thought i had written down let me look again light wave here we go i found it this light ah. wave. he looks like he kind of looks like story or not he kind of looks like human torch, no, human torch. Yeah, when it's flamed on when johnny's flamed mm. on uh just just a floating son who uh was a previous herald of galactus i assume possibly this this one that has died and has just been chilling with natalie x who has this giant fucking bulbous like dude like this head is gigantic it's like it's like modok grotesque massive no i think it's bigger but it's just on like a normal what looks like just a woman body yeah and like it it kind of it was grossing me out if i'm being quite honest and it was grossing me out why is it that galactus is only destroying the planet do we ever learn why or because of anger because they were able to kill him oh i see so just out of some strange type of revenge like yeah, like out of spite. Like this this planet has to be eradicated. Like Thanos endgame style when he comes back. Precisely. And on top of that, I also want to mention that like Reed and company, they didn't have to be there while he was doing this. Uh the only reason they said this was because Reed was like, Well, what about the innocent people that's there? And Galactus told them, You can go ahead and try to save them. However, I'm gonna continue doing what I what I'm doing. So if you're not finished by the time it begins, then it's on you. Damn. Galactus cold as fuck. Yeah. Johnny, Ben, and Franklin are holding the line. They're holding off the Annihilation Wave as they're all inside of the portal for the negative zone. Freaking Franklin, he's just doing some wacky shit. And, like, Johnny's on the side of him saying, you're doing a good job, Franklin. And I know damn well, I'd be terrified if, like, my little nephew was up there doing this type of shit. I'd be like, oh, I hope to, I hope to God. He doesn't get snatched up or anything like that. So on the flip side of this, Valeria and the couple of future foundation members are there next to the shielding controls. And basically she then asks Bentley how many minutes they have. Bentley then says that they have at least four minutes before the annihilation wave arrives. They can't reprogram the locking mechanism. They're trying to brainstorm a lot of different ways for them to do it. Well, different ways on what they can do. Uh, they even consider nuking the negative zone, which honestly, I don't really think that would have been a bad idea. I don't think it would have been until they said that, like, there's a potential of like the portal, like leaking the fumes and everything. Besides that, who would miss it? Exactly. Like there's nothing really there. No, no one would miss it. Um, the only person who would be there is a nihilist, but a nihilist is evil. Is Is that capitalist of us to say? Is that just like like terrible way to look at it? I mean, it's the negative zone. But they're bug creatures, yeah, I though. Know. I guess. I guess for those. But then again. Oh, I was gonna say. I guess for those that are negative zone supporters, 
uh, this is not the podcast for you. We're going to ask at this point that you turn off the podcast and go listen to something that does support it. Because we over here, politically speaking, do not support the negative zone. Honestly, you know, I did not vote a nihilist for president. I would never vote a nihilist for president or for mayor or for anything ever. I think a nihilist yeah. is kind of a bitch. So, well, he's a petty bitch, though. Like, shit, in, in the next issue, he was petty as Dude, fuck for that. Petty as fuck. Probably one of the coldest villains that we've got so yeah. far. But I will get to that. I, I yeah. That was petty as fuck. Oh my gosh. Okay, so they they they're thinking about nuking it. All right, and they can't nuke it due to the fumes leaking out of the portal. Valerie Valeria then comes up with the then realizes that someone is going to have to stay. Bum bum bum. I really hope that it's not like Johnny or anyone like really important to the story because that would be really upsetting. So you're just basically saying, fuck the kids. The kids have to be the ones to stay back. Yeah, fuck the kids. <laughs> like, they could they could make more. Oh. Hey, look, I'm living off that Batman mentality, okay? Okay. All right. You guys heard it first. Jay said, fuck them kids. Okay. I'm full, I'm full of hot takes today. I'm sorry. The negative zone just has me fired up today, Damon. Listen, you know, I don't blame you. I have in my notes currently a little rewind here. Um, the reason that the annihilation wave is happening and the reasoning that like the fucking um, bugs had a siege or whatever on the negatives on the Baxter building is because a couple of issues later and kind of like a one off issue almost. Johnny is at the club. He meets this really hot girl. In the background of the club, there's like a whole cult thing going on and everything for like the negative cult or whatever. At first, Johnny's cool. Great. He's about to bring her back home to banger and everything. She then asks to see Reed's lab and he's like, oh, okay, cool. That'll like, you know, turn her on or whatever. So they go to Reed's lab. She then like fucking unzips her fucking skin. She's a giant, giant, she's like multiple bugs. It was actually kind of terrifying. It was gross as fuck, especially with the heart. And she opens up the negative zone and she basically destroys a couple of different things. And she also like the bugs know where the negative zone is. So one of the bugs within the bug suit comes back and lets the other cult know where the negative zone is. So they have a plan to fucking lay siege to the Baxter building. Johnny sees all this happens. He's trying to stop it. He can't stop it. He ends up not telling anybody. He only tells Valeria about this situation why does he feel as though he can only talk to valeria about all this she is smart as fuck i guess yeah but that's also like i don't know that's that's a lot to just put onto a child but i guess she is a genius that toes to toe dr doom at a couple of occasions as well right listen are you buckled in though? I I think I was at some point, Are but then the seatbelt was kind of like ripped off a quarter of the way, so I feel like I'm hanging on to it tight, and we're getting up to the next bump of the roller coaster. Well, yes, we are. So we're back at the <laughs> golf now. <laughs> All right, so we're back at the golf. We're back over here, guys. So Namor is losing his shit over Sue being their queen. Sue, basically in a boss move, she then drops her force fields and tells Namor, you need to call off your ships. 
And she's very, very calm when she does this. Very stoic. Exactly. And Namor then responds by saying, this is not something you'd like to put yourself in the middle of. She responds with, but that's exactly where I am, isn't I? Uh, wait, wait, that's exactly where I am, was, aren't I? My bad. Uh, oh, wait, no, 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 no. Isn't it? There it is. It's a little bit My of bad. a pirate okay. captain, Black Tom Cassidy coming out. Arg. <laughs> Namor then threatens war, and she tells him there isn't going to be anything of the sort. And he will honor their original treaty and honor his word. And that the people of old Atlantis are under her protection. At this point, Sue then is getting ready to walk away. Namor then grabs her arm and says, woman, you do not turn away from. She then rocks his shit. She basically backhands the fuck out of him with like a force field arm. And he's on the ground. And she then says, honor the deal. I'm done asking nicely. What? What was okay? When you first saw that, what was your uh, reaction? Dude, I thought Sue was cold as hell and that namor is a is a bitch like man dramatic turns that were happening in just these couple of panels is insane now i i really didn't have a good understanding from just this particular comic where this whole war was coming from i knew that it was from the two opposing atlant atlantis not very much Mm. past that the the fact that everything changes so suddenly and the fact that it has to change so suddenly now for Sue because of this responsibility that's just now all of a sudden on her and she handles it so well. But I think at the same time, it must be something so terrifying for her. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even think about it like, like that. Imagine the fact of, of jumping into a war that's not really yours to try to help and and figure out a way to end it only for it to have gone the way that it has with namor assassinating the i can't remember what the relation was or the king assassinating their past king that is so much to take in you know none of this responsibility was ever really theirs and again namor total ass ready to just allow war to continue because in the end of the day that just shows that it wasn't so much of finding peace for him it was just for him to be on top and exactly fuck that you know it it really shows his his true colors my favorite part though is when she went on though she went on after he's on the ground and Namor, he's like trying to like get get himself together to stand back up. And he's like, you dare? And she's like, you're damn right I do. In case you missed it, these are my people now. I rule here and I am queen. Oh, I, well, she was like, I rule here and I'm a queen who bows down to no king. Man. Fucking badass. Man. And then it was undercut because Namor then gets turned on and he's like, Oh my god, you're mag- magnificent. Oh my Such god. Such a fucking pig. Not a fan of fan of this man. Going to say. You know, I got to say I, lo- I love me some uh Namor from uh Wakanda Forever. He was still arrogant, but he was like he, he had a lot more like riz with it, you know? Like he was a lot more like suave with it, I'd say. Soups, I read this all yesterday, but then I had to read it again today to get my notes together. And it was at this point, I was like, oh, I bet you Jay finna be losing her shit. Like, what the fuck is going I on did. here? <laughs> totally all right, so the, t- so the team gets to where they got to go to get to the portal to escape. 
cool, great, fine and dandy. They're going to be out scout-free, right? And then Ted, a member of the team, he then falls to the ground, and in comes the maestro. Ted and the maestro have a few words in an exchange, and Ted even says that Earth, uh, the maestro has no place on Earth. Reed then gets in between them and says there isn't enough time. They set up the portal, and Reed says, let's go home. Another thing I forgot to mention is that before we left Sue, she said to Namor, I'm going home. Yes. Okay, cool. We're back at the negative zone. Val then breaks the news that one of them has to stay behind, and they only have one minute left before the next Annihilation Wave comes to be, like, just end it Dude, all. Dude, wait, can we also just mention the it, fact it, that everything's also happening at the same time? You know, everything is succinct on these three different planets. So yeah. all of this stuff has all happened within six minutes. Uh, Sue's reaction and getting this, this wormhole open to get off of the destroyed new world and the maestro just fucking showing up out of nowhere. At least at least for, for me, who is someone just reading straight from this comic, out of nowhere. Um and then suddenly we're just back onto negative zone, you know, all within that span of time, I think is insane to think about. Honestly, I'm glad that you were able to collapse all the times because I was not paying attention to how much time passed in between them. But when you think about how it all took place at the same time, it kind of puts it more into perspective. It really does. It really does. Um, so Val breaks the news to the team. And it was at this point that the book started getting sad for me. Even um, on the second read, it still had like that sad impact on me. But uh, she breaks the news. Ben decides that he'll stay, and he's telling Johnny to go back with the kids. Johnny then throws Ben through the portal and locks it. Johnny decides that he's going to be the one to stay and lock the final portal. Val then tells Johnny from the other side of the portal how to lock the final shields and start the fail safe so that no one can tr- no one can uh, reopen the gate uh, or like any of the negative zone people. They can't try to do it. As this is happening, Johnny then looks at Ben and tells uh, Ben to tell Reed that this was his final stand. This line was a callback to earlier in the like I'd say like five, six issues. Maybe even 10 issues previously, Johnny and Reed had a long discussion and like a heart to heart. And Johnny was just basically explaining how he just wants to find his place in the world and everything. And uh, just a lot of different shit. Like, I would say this death felt kind of earned, especially throughout a lot of the different things that you've seen Johnny do. And you kind of seen him grow up. Yeah, he definitely seems from this one issue alone different than how I personally would recognize Johnny Storm as a character to be and and how he would act uh you know in like different like Spider-Man tie-in comics that we've talked about and read in the past just with all the other stuff that I know this character to be from um so a moment like this it, it felt like it was very important and during this point when Ben is transforming back into the thing while this is all happening too i thought it was just masterfully done and was just such a perfect way 
for the writers to fucking tear my heart out because uh, it's it's so sad to to see this kind of sacrifice with a character that we have seen grown and evolve over time and the fact that it is pointed out uh, through and through that this is going to be something so absolute that there is only one way to get this done and it has to be through this sacrifice you know i i mm -hmm. especially looking on it now understanding why at this point that he is able to just turn back into the thing again it it has to be probably from what turned to be ben's best week ever into the worst day of his life exactly and then on top of that you also have to think maybe he would think that he would have had more of a fighting chance than johnny did because he was just turned into the thing right before they came so he would have had more or at least in his eyes he might have had more of a fighting chance than johnny would oh have. i'm sure in his mind but i'm gonna be honest i don't think anyone could have been able to those damon no way yeah you know, it's funny that you're talking about this, too, because uh, in my notes, I put in a question I had for you. And I was actually wondering, do as someone who hasn't read the rest of the run, um, does this issue and the following issue, does it still does it like carry some weight? Would you say it was an effective death that gave meaning, even if you just were just hopping on? It, it took a bit of of reading further because uh, past this point, he turns around and you see this army of all these different like they just look like it's huge dude it just looks like the the gate of hell just opened on on johnny i'm not yeah even kidding. it's like different insects and it, everything it was like unfathomable looking like monsters and creatures just running at him and the way how he looks upon this huge army this giant wave and they're gross yes, too dude just oh i hate it fighting it head on and he flames on one last time and that's when it finds well, do you have his the quote of what he said uh yeah i have it written down i think they look right here uh a billion to one you think i'm afraid of that you think i'm afraid of that flame on and I got a couple of thoughts. I wrote a lot of notes on this. I liked that, like, even before we seen the final splash page of what ha what's going to happen, the part that, like, it was just, like, these panels where you then see, like, the thing's reaction. It's, the, like, I'm getting chills thinking about it because, like, you get to see the thing as he's looking through, like, the red portal, like, the holographic portal before the final portal closes. And the way that he's drawn, it's... Like, it's a look of horror, it's a look of shock, and it's a look of sadness, and he's starting to cry. Yeah. Uh, and then I like how it's intercut with the shield is starting to close because Johnny put in the final codes. And as it's closing, the thing is beginning to see Annihilus's face come closer and closer. And before it completely closes, this is where, like, the thing finally sees the entirety of the horde. And he says, oh, God, John. And then the whole, like, thing closes. And then after it closes, we then see this splash page that's, like, between two pages. And 
you basically see the horde like start beginning to rip him Dude, apart. I cannot believe that they put this in the comic the way that they did. You know, like yeah, scared the shit out of me as a child. And then, like as this all happens, the final page—it wasn't the splash page. The final page, no audio, like no, no not audio, <laughs> no bubbles. It's just Ben and the kids sitting in front of the portal, crying. That is, and that's where I learned why the this like final issue in I think the six in the four or five issue story arc was titled three. That was just the name of the story arc. This was the final issue of that story arc. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. I was curious as to why it ended with that. Yep. But that's not yep. where this episode's end, baby, because we're also talking about 588. So don't don't go anywhere. Exactly. On top of that, soup, this is our giant-sized issue. So... Sit down, stick around, go grab yourself a glass of water. Also, I will say this one is going to be a shorter discussion, so we're not going to be too long, but still. All right. A month of mourning. Now, right away, we're just entered with like some different artwork. It's by Nick Dragata, and the art is giving Jack Kirby. It's like giving some Jack Kirby esque type of looks. It really does. So the entire issue is mostly 100% no dialogue just visual so it takes place exactly after the previous issue the avengers arrive but it's too late as they come in and wonder what's going on ben gives them a single look and they all understand what's happened by the time they get in there sue arrives home too and she just breaks down instantly we then go over to day three Day three, Sue is isolating herself, and she is not allowing Reed to touch her because she has a force field up every time he's trying to touch her. And I just got to say, I love the image, and I just loved the, uh, the the way they, like, decided to use her powers in that regard. Because, like, I know that, like, a lot of their powers is connected to their emotions, and it would make sense for Sue's to, like, do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also had just loved to it add here um, when we see the Avengers and everyone uh, that like Wolverine is here again. Another Wolverine just popping up. Yeah. I, Wolverine's a part of the Avengers. too, Right. But I mean, like, but every Marvel comic so far has had this fucking dude in it. Maybe it's inevitable. We gotta we gotta cover Wolverine one day. Yeah, we need to finally just put him in the spotlight, huh? He keeps trying to take it away from other characters, you know. He got tired of doing it from uh, the '90s into the X Men movies. Now he just uh, he he's not tired of it yet. I'm sorry, I fucking fucked up that joke. So <laughs> just, just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, Sue does the four seal bubble, and at the the way how the art just shows her face and she just looks so depressed and just lost and she has that thousand yard stare going on damon and i can exactly feel the 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 pain that she's going through in the panel and and in the artwork it really like dawned on me when i was reading it too because i know like a little bit about the fantastic four and i read a couple of things and i um it really 
dawned on me too her connection with her brother because like sue effectively was like a second mom to johnny and when their parents weren't in the picture sue had to like take care of him while he was growing up mm. so it's like that's even more devastating too when you think yeah. about it yeah oh my goodness okay so day four reed goes into the vault and he grabs the ultimate nullifier the ultimate nullifier is one of the two things that Galactus is scared of. It's basically an ultimate end-all, be-all, destructo weapon that can do almost anything. Okay, apart from his kid. It's a very powerful weapon. Very Well, the ultimate nullifier was first introduced in Galactus' first appearance. That was the reason why Galactus didn't eat the planet, because Reed, uh, he got it because the Watcher like helped them get it. But anyways, he grabs ultimate nullifier, Goes all the way back to the, goes all the way back to the negative zone portal, and threatens to kill Galactus with the ultimate nullifier. And as the panels like go, a gla- or uh, a Nihilus, I'm sorry, threatens to kill Nihilus with it. And as the panels are like set up, it's just like a Nihilus is just sitting there for a second, and then the next panel is a Nihilus like pulling Johnny's tattered Fantastic Four uniform from his back and just showing Reed. Now, thinking about it right now, I'm actually kind of, like, laughing because it's, like, just imagine, like, what the dialogue was. I can just see Reed being, like, you know, I'm going to fucking kill you. Da, 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 da. And then Nihilus just sitting there like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you say that. Hold on, let me go grab something real quick. Comes back around with the Fantastic Four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, you still finna try to kill me? <laughs> and then right after Mr. Fantastic sees it, he then just is like, oh, shit. Then he turns around and, go and walks away. Day six. In that area, the Coronation of Doom's apprentice, Kristan Vernat, is happening. There's a Doombot there instead of Doom. Day eight is the burial. Doom arrives, Valeria notices, and I liked his, I like Johnny's gravestone. It like has like a, it's a statue of him, but like it has like an eternal flame with him holding it and shit. That's actually pretty cool. I thought cool. this was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Day 14, Spider-Man sees Franklin. We'll get back to day 14. Day 20, the FF were brainstorming, no, the Future Foundation were brainstorming possible replacements. Jay, who do you think is going to be on the new Fantastic Four team in the next issue? Oh, dude, I think it would be really cool if Iron Fist and Luke Cage showed up. Is it Spider-Man? Oh, shit, how'd you know? That was just my next guess. No, yeah, it was Spider-Man, and the team changes their name to the Future Foundation, and they wear white and black outfits. Uh, Spider-Man only became a part of the team because Johnny had a little will set up, like a little hologram will. And uh, in there, he had a message dedicated to Spider-Man, and he said that like if if they're going to replace him, replace him there, he wants Spider-Man to replace him. Which makes sense, because he tangos with the Fantastic Four very early on, and they have a fantastic relationship between the two of them through yeah between the characters yeah the fantastic four and spider-man they're like they're buds like it's interesting because it's like uh the fantastic four is like spider-man second family fuck the avengers fuck any other superhero team 
the superhero team that fucks with Spider-Man is the Avengers and vice versa. I mean, Fantastic Four and vice versa. Do you think now after the events of No Way Home and we know that Fantastic Four is showing up, do you feel as though they'll finally start to plant the seeds for connections between the characters like how it is in the comics? I doubt it. Why is that, you think? For a couple of reasons. Number one... The re- that's the same reason why every single hero in the MCU is an Avenger now. Oh, because that's what has a bigger household name now. Exactly. Because in the comics, being an Avenger was kind of exclusive. Like, you had to be, like, invited to be an Avenger or chosen to be on the Avengers. Whereas in DC Comics on the Justice League, almost everybody is on the Justice League. All right, so then we go over to Day 26. If I'm being quite honest with you, Jay, I didn't even fucking realize who the fuck those people were when they pulled up. It took me a second to reread it to understand who those people were and what was happening in day 26. And I was kind of shook when I found it out. So who are these guys? I know one is the Hulk. Well, um, that's Thor and the Hulk. But those both are. That The other guy there is Thor? Yes, it is. Okay. They even give you a hint because that first panel is like the Avengers logo. So, day 26, throughout the entire like little issue, you've been getting tidbits of seeing that the thing, he's still very angry over what has happened. And it seems as though that he meets these two people in the desert. They pull out a hologram of the Human Torch. I'm assuming this is what his will is on, which is going to be covered in the later issues. And the thing kind of, he's still not fully accepting it, and he's getting angry. The two people that he sees, they look like regular scientists in, like, suits and whatever. Anyways, one has a cane, the other is just a regular guy. The thing's doing his thing, and boom, here comes Thor. Now, Jay, in the comics, Thor does have a secret identity. He goes by the name of Donald Blake. And whenever he wants to turn into Thor, he then bangs either a walking stick or an umbrella on the ground, and he turns into Thor. So Thor appears, and uh, trying to calm down the thing, a fight ensues, the Hulk comes, and the Hulk doesn't try to fight the thing, and the thing starts beating on him, ultimately he then breaks down crying. And at this point, I was like, this is actually really, really sad. Oh, dude, this is where it, I, I think I didn't cry or anything, but this is where it really, like, broke me and made me very, you know, emotional was during this point when Thing is just going nuts on the Hulk and Hulk's just, just letting him, you know, and I, I don't know. It just, to me, this whole issue is just beautiful and it's because of moments like this, you know, seeing the Thing break down and, and the three of these characters have this moment because this is such a huge and impactful moment to see a, a member of the fantastic four but also just a friend and a family member and someone that they've gotten to know forever just gone exactly and that was the end of the morning period but it's not the end of the issue for we go back to day 14 when spider-man sees franklin Day 14, Spider-Man swinging around and he swings to the Baxter building and hops on top of the roof and he sees Franklin sitting there alone, mourning the death of his Uncle Johnny. Once Spider-Man gets there, he then invites him out for lunch 
and they go eat a hot dog together. It was funny as fuck when uh when Spider Man takes him to go get food because he's like telling him like, "Are you hungry?" And Franklin's like, "Not really." And Spidey's like, uh, I'm not going to eat because I'm starving unless you want to eat. And so he basically gets Brent Franklin to be like, okay, I guess I'm hungry. And they get there, and then Spider-Man asks Franklin to pay. Spider-Man is a fucking bum, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, if any character would have possibly lightened the mood at all from this issue, it probably would have just been Spider-Man, you know? I don't think there would have been anyone else to better have... Uh, segue this too mm-hmm. for uh franklin to have this interaction and i love that i love the fact that he's still a whole buck short <laughs> something that is always going to plague spider-man uh, and and peter parker alike exactly uh franklin then talks about the well after they get the hot dog franklin talks about the guilt that he feels for not saving his uncle and Spider-Man then tells him about how he also could have saved his uncle from dying. I liked the little heart-to-heart here. And I liked how, like, Peter doesn't talk to Franklin like he's stupid. Because he could have, like, sugarcoated it. But he just said, like, you know, my uncle died, too. And he even mentions, that, like, he even prefaces by asking, I'm not sure if, like, your family already told you about this or not. But, you know, my uncle died, too. And it also made me think about how, like, damn. So, I don't know if Franklin knows that Peter is Peter Parker. I think only like the Fantastic Four knows, but I don't know if Franklin knows or not. So I would be surprised. No, definitely not. Yeah, definitely not. Because I know that um, Spider Man is actually like Franklin's favorite superhero. Oh, is he really? Yeah. That's funny. A couple issues prior during Franklin's birthday, the Fantastic Four asked Spider Man to come to his birthday party. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm hmm. Honestly, who wouldn't want Spider-Man at their birthday party? Listen, it would be great. It would be great. If my parents were superheroes, best believe I'm meeting every single fucking superhero. Um, so they basically like have a heart to heart. And Franklin asked Peter why he didn't save like, you know, save his uncle. And he said that he didn't do it because he was still too young and had a lot of things to learn. He then reminds Franklin that eventually the feelings of guilt and nightmares will disappear and be replaced by the loving memories of his uncle. So, I just liked the dialogue here. I really did. I liked it a lot because Franklin brought up how he's been having nightmares and how he still just feels really, really bad. And Spider-Man just reassures him that, like, it's something that's normal, but over time it'll just, like, change. And whoever wrote this did a really good job. I think it's the same writer for both stories, but I'll have to double check on that. Yep, it would have to be Hickman. Yeah. So, at that point, Spider-Man then gets up, and he's going to take Franklin back home. And in the background, you see, like, these clouds, and it's a picture. Uh, they're, like, forming a picture of Uncle Ben and then Johnny Sworn smiling as they're both heading back to the yeah. Baxter building. But my favorite thing is that the lines is that after, like, Spider-Man is done talking, and he's web-slinging them back to where they got to go, Franklin then asks him, what was your uncle's name? And he said my uncle's name was Ben. I think it's just so random to just throw in Uncle Ben's face and Johnny's face. Like, why does Uncle Ben have to be a part of this? You know what I mean? Like, not that Uncle Ben isn't special, but why does this also now have to just be about Uncle Ben? Honestly, true. True. I feel like it would have been better if it was just Johnny in the cloud. Yeah, it could have just worked if it was Johnny in the cloud, you know. Or that's just how I feel personally. 
Honestly, or, I wish the thing touched into not the not the thing. I mean the story. I wish the story would have touched more into the fact that like Johnny and Spider Man were actually really good friends. So I feel like he could have said something else. Like he could touch on the uncle side of things, but he could have said something else about Johnny. See, I think Peter Parker may have shown up to the funeral and not Spider Man. You dig me? Because he doesn't talk like he was at the funeral. True. That was held for Johnny either. But you would have expected Spider Man to be there. That's what I'm saying. Like it it's kind of it's kind of a bit odd. Um and I wonder why that's the case. I wonder if it gets discussed in any later issues or if it's just left unexplained. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in the process of reading bad. more, so I'll let you know. Ooh. All right. Gotta give us that updates, updates. So anyway, Uncle Ben tries to take Johnny Storm's spotlight even though he's been dead way longer so it's like we've been used to that exactly and that's our giant sized issue of super saturdays everybody i know it was a little patchy i know that we were a little bumpy on the ride but thanks for being the passengers on this ride so and if you didn't like it you only have yourselves to blame because you picked this episode. <laughs> Precisely. This is what you wanted. This is what you guys wanted. And honestly, guys. We delivered. Honestly, guys, we're going to probably do more of these. So be sure to follow our socials. All right. Before we close out this episode, Jay, what was your thoughts on this issue? These issues, plural. Um, <laughs> bizarre. Very bizarre very intense but i loved it i i enjoyed the beats that were going here as someone who has not read any of the comics prior to this i was able to stay invested and i was able to still feel from the emotional beats that the writers were conveying from these two issues i brought it up earlier but this last issue, 588, is by far one of my favorites. I think that it is just a, a beautiful use of comics as a medium because uh, it allows us to really take in not just the fantastic artwork being done, but also it is strong enough to convey the same thing that you would see from, say, a film or a play that has a, a moment where there's no dialogue. It's able to keep me very invested and allow me to feel this loss the same way that the writers would want me to if I had read all the way back from issue one or from issue 500. And I, I gotta say, that is a really great work on Hickman's part and especially for this last issue, I, you know I got to shout it out because it's my favorite. Mark Brooks and Paul Mounts were the main people here that were doing the art. Uh, Brooks is the artist and Mounts the colorist, respectively. I did not look up other work of theirs, but honestly, this is the one, if nothing else, to check out just to see what they're capable of. That, that was the biggest takeaways I could say. 587 granted i probably would need to know a whole lot more i was at least fortuitous enough to know who val and franklin and and 
who these characters are kind of prior. Not so much like Leech. <laughs> Leech kind of feels like a Jar Jar Binks here. Not going to lie. He's part of the Morlocks. Um, uh, more like, who cares? Ha ha. Uh, you know, that, that works that's out very better mutinous in my to head. You. That is very mutinous of you. Hey, hey, hey. You know, the Morlocks are like the mutants who can't live in society because they don't look like people. And you're up here saying that? That's um, mm, a little sus. I, I have no problem with the way that Leech looks. I have no problem at all. You thought he was it's an alien. the fact that all... Yes, I did, because I don't know who he is and uh, the way how he was drawn. How am I supposed... Come on, dude. Come on, you can't pull that. What is being... Why, why are you doing this? Not on the giant-sized issue. Come on, don't look at me like that. You're, you're giving me that, you like Krabby Patties, don't you, Squidward, smile. But that's not the meaning behind the smile. Mm. That's New co-host, everybody. What the Holding f- auditions next fuck? week. All right, yeah, good luck. Have fun making them thumbnails without me, partner. You really thought you ate that, though. And then it just cuts to the outro. And then it just cuts. <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. But, no, uh, I, I, I got to say, these were some pretty good issues. I would say, having read this stuff prior, because uh, I got the big-ass book right next to me, and reading it prior really did add a lot to it. And uh, it kind of just felt like a movie. Like, it felt like, oh, shit, shit is just hitting the fan left and right and everything. Uh, especially just the little details and everything. Like, there's so many things I wish I could have, like, told you on the show. But we would have been here talking for hours. But, uh, yeah, I would say this was a really good um, book. And it also still had a lot of weight to it. It, w- it was honestly, I would say it's up there as one of my f- favorite character deaths. But what do you guys think? Did the death of Johnny Storm hold up? Be sure to give us your answers by reviewing the show or messaging us on Instagram at Super Saturdays Podcast, TikTok at Super Saturdays Pod, and Twitter at Super Saturdays PC. Your messages and reviews can make their way on the show. This was Super Saturdays. I'm Damon. And I'm Jay Hayward. Make sure you also check out what Damon and I are up to on our Instagrams at Damon underscore 1003 and at J the movie gal. See you next Saturday, Soups. Hey, Soups. Do you enjoy the music here on the podcast? Then why don't you check out our buddy Jake Voigt at jakevoigtmusic.com. 